For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. We now return to to Tampa Bay's most listened to morning show, The Mike Calta Show Show on 102.5 The Bone. It's the Mike Calta Show. It's 102.5 The Bone, 8.36 on a Wednesday morning, and we have a a hero in the studio with us. This is a gentleman named Rocky Sickman. Pleasure to meet you, man. How are you? Mike, I'm awesome, and thank you. I'm not a hero. The heroes are the eight guys that never came home on that rescue operation. Uh, That's so hard to hear, Uh, but let me explain. Absolutely a hero because I'll tell you why. Same thing I say to firemen. There's no way in the world I'm doing that. There's no, like, there are things I know in the world I was meant to do and not meant to do, and I was not, I, if you, if you came to me and said, you have to go defend your country, then I would gladly grab a rifle and go do it, but I pray every day that nobody ever asked me to. I'm just, there's certain people who are inherently lazy, and I'm that guy. I don't, I don't want to be the guy. Have I, you Googled if there's World War Three? what is the cutoff yeah, for the Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, I worry about my children, but I know yeah, I'm good yeah. for it. I'm, I'm good there. Um, you, you got out of high school and went into the military right after? Yes, sir. 1976, you know, there was no war. It was right after Vietnam. And I thought I wanted to see the world. I came from a small town of 50 and that was dogs and cats included. And so I wanted to see the world and the world I saw. And you, and you did, did you think like, uh, like I'll get on a plane after one crashes because this one ain't going to crash. Did you feel that way? Were you like, I'm, uh, Vietnam lasted and went through the whole thing I, I should be safe here absolutely yeah yeah i thought nothing was going to happen to this little kid from Krakow, missouri wow and and uh first thing you join and then uh how long first of all how was boot camp worse than you thought it was gonna be? you know what i thought i was in shape but little did i realize that the marine corps took you and rebuilt you they yeah. broke down every muscle went to san diego and boot camp uh my father he cried that morning when i left mike and i never could understand why my father would was crying. It wasn't until I got in a boot camp that I realized he knew more than I did. <laughs> and uh, I prayed for the next 13 weeks. I couldn't wait to get on that airplane. But I tell you what, because of that boot camp, it really helped me make it through the darkest times of my life. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they prepare you for those sort of things. I mean, I, I only know what I've seen of boot camp through movies. And I don't know how accurate that is. But when you watch movies like Full Metal Jacket, yeah. you got to imagine it was probably similar to that. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, and then you get in, and what's the first thing they have you doing? Well, um, I become an O three eleven, which is infantry, right. and because I wanted to see the world, so I, I went to three four, which was in Okinawa, uh-huh. Japan. Spent a year in Europe, came back uh, and got connected with two eight in Camp Geiger, North Carolina. Went to Asia, or excuse me, went to Europe, and came back. And then uh, I wanted to be an. So you're right now. You're getting what you wanted. You got to I see Okinawa. You got to see Europe. You got to see. Uh, you got around. It, incredible. And then I wanted to uh, become a Marine security guard, which is a, a very elite duty. You're paid by the Marine Corps, paid by the State Department okay. uh, to protect an American embassy around the world. And where, what embassy did you hope to go for before you ended up in Tehran? Well, I was hoping for Paris. Yeah. Uh, yeah because, yeah. you know, you spend uh, 
typically three years in a hardship and three years in a good post. Okay. Well, I had just graduated. My parents were there. My girlfriend was there, which just so happened to now be my wonderful wife of 43 Really? Years. After all these years? Good she for you. She waited for me for yeah. 444 days. But uh, um, they had talked about Iran because the American embassy in Iran, Mike, in uh, 1979 uh, was attacked and eventually it was closed. Right. And then they reopened it around April of 1979. I get there October 7th. Now, when you hear that uh, you're going to Iran, what do you think? That's not probably the part of the world you wanted to see. You know, Mike, I was a young, naive Marine, right. uh, 22 years of age, and I really didn't know uh, much. Uh, had never really researched Iran. Didn't have time to research because I was on an airplane. And I was over there immediately. Yeah, yeah. So you get there, and and uh, what's your, what are you what are your duties? What do you have to do right away? Yeah. So as a Marine security guard, your responsibility is to provide protection for the inside parameter, which was we had a 23-acre compound uh, to protect uh, personnel, property, and documents of the American government. The outside perimeter of the American embassy, Mike, is protected by the host government. Okay. But I can so, tell you that morning there was no. So the the uh, Iranian government takes care of the outside, and then you take care of the inside. So that day when they want to let people come in and attack, they just let them come right in. Mike, I will go to my grave uh, if did you see the movie Argo? Uh, yes, yeah. with Ben Affleck. Yeah. Yep. And uh, my son was in that movie. I got to speak to the cast, but I didn't know it was being created until halfway through. Uh, but uh, as I told Ben and the staff that morning, November fourth, I'm walking into the mortar pool gate, thirty yards away, and all of a sudden, you can hear the demonstration. The demonstration was to demonstrate that Shah of Iran was in the United States for health medical. Right. So the Shah, they kicked the Shah out. Right. Yes. And yeah. then he came over here to get medical uh, yes, treatment and we accepted him in, even though he had been exiled from Iran. And President Carter, in his staff meeting two weeks prior to letting the Shaw in, that morning the staff said, President Carter, we have to let the Shaw in for medical treatment. And President Carter, it's documented. What are you going to do if I let the Shaw in and our people are taken hostage. Right. He, he knew that would weeks. be yeah, an outcome. And why why was it so important to us that we that we try I remember when I was a kid, I remember this happening, but I don't remember the, all the details. Why why didn't we reject him? Did we bring him in just for humanity reasons or it was health health reasons, but there were also you know, the Shaw was a very wealthy man. Right. And there was a lot of dollars. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so the root you know, of all evil. You got to follow the dollars, yeah. And so, anyway, uh, they allowed him in, and uh, you know uh, what President Carter thought actually happened. Okay, November fourth. So they storm the uh, the embassy. You when do you know something's wrong? Where, what are you doing at the time? When I'm walking into the motor pool gate to go out in town because uh, we couldn't drive, you had to have a driver. I get this recall, recall, and again, like I said, there had been a demonstration every day for two weeks. I turned around and looked at the front gate, and Mike, they're coming over the wall, and there was no security outside the gate. Like one of those zombie movies where they just keep I mean, coming. I'm telling you, I will tell everybody I speak to, all your listeners, everybody, that that morning, November 4th, there were no security whatsoever. Wow. I ran back. I could run pretty fast back then. And I uh, got back into the Chancery, which was the main building, the 23-acre compound. Billy Gallegos, another Marine, was closing the door, saw me being chased. 
I squeezed in, we closed the door, and uh, we then donned our, our weapons. And and how much protection is inside the... Uh, the only thing I know is from Zero Dark Thirty, uh, as far as the embassy, and it didn't look like they had much protection there. Yeah, I, I can tell you the four-inch steel doors were pretty well protected, um, but uh, little did we realize um, there was a window in the basement. Uh, but I can tell you the weapons that we had, I'll give you a $20 bill if you can guess what you think our weapons were. So uh, I, I hear military, I think, M60. I think, uh, you know, AR-15, I don't know what kind of weapon you know. 1979, it was a snub-nosed 38 and sawed-off shotgun. Are oh. you serious? No yeah. machine guns at all? No <laughs> automatic mob, weapons? Mob giving you guys weapons? Yeah. yeah. And so I can tell you that, um, you know, once you made it into that, that building, nobody was going to get in, nobody was going to get out. And everybody was trying to make it to that building. Right. So many of the Americans that were working in the compound, they... They didn't get in. They were immediately taken. So seven Marines held that American embassy for the next four hours. Wow. Waiting for the host government. Snub those 38s and clubs. Yeah. Yeah. And so we basically. The hands of somebody else, your fate's being determined by a government that, that, you know, by people that that were just coming in to attack you. You don't know what's going to come out of that, no matter what you're assured of. You're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that a Muslim is not born with hatred. Yeah. They are taught hatred. And the day of November 4th, 1979, is the day that the war on terrorism started. The Islamic Republic of Iran has been teaching young to hate America and hate Jews ever since. And every day, November 4th, every year, January 20th, they burn American flags to teach that hatred. And and so now you're you're there with how many people was it? So at that point in time, January of 1979, there were 20,000 Americans. Okay. It was a beautiful country. Yeah. I mean, so much history. And when I got there, there were 66 Americans. Uh, so and so that morning, November 4th, uh, yeah, there were about 60 of us that were taken. Right. And so we were the first 30 days, uh, we were tied to a chair. Our arms were tied to the arms of the chair. Our feet were tied to the feet of the chair. Sometimes at night, they'd put you on the floor and tie your wrists to your ankles, and that's how you slept. And you're sitting there hoping and praying that there's negotiations going on. But I You have no contact. You So you were no. told yes, but you don't know what's going on. No. And they're probably telling you the opposite. They're telling well, you what they want you to believe. Yeah, it, it was uh, they start doing their interrogations. They wanted information. And out of the, the interrogations, one individual broke. Oh, really? And, and he sang like a bird. Really? Uh, went around. I'll never forget the day that he came into the room. As I was in that corner of the room, Sergeant Lopez was in that corner, Staff Sergeant Muller was in that room, and we're all facing the corner, and all of a sudden you heard this door open up, and couldn't see, and all of a sudden you heard this voice, and I recognized the voice, and I'm not going to give the name out to this uh-huh. individual. Uh, he's currently in prison right now, but this uh, individual says, yeah, that's Sergeant Lopez. And then he goes, that's Sergeant Sickman, he's one of the Marines, that's Staff Sergeant Muller. He's Just writing everybody out. And he's doing it for favors. Yeah. So you, and this is 1979. I can tell you that training has gotten much better since yeah. 1979. Now they're able to find people that had, or weak. Back then, we never had that type yeah, of training. Yeah, it was just everybody. Yeah. So, so uh, what was his fate? At that, that um, thing, the- well, his, <laughs> I don't know, uh, because again, you just heard him, and so you never saw him again. Right. Um, but you had heard that uh, this individual had been leaking information. So little did we re- know that the Islamic Republic of Iran, they released all the women except for two. 
Okay. And all the blacks except for one, Charles Jones, that was in the uh, communication vault. Um, but we had no idea that this was happening. Was Charles like, what did I do? No, <laughs> but Charles was in the communication vault, and uh, he didn't come out until later. So they right away suspected he was a, a CIA Something, guy. Something, yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, I mean, that that first 30 days, I mean, I spent um, my first Thanksgiving. I mean, you like holidays, right? Yeah. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I, I read now, I, if you're not with your kids or you're not with your family, you, you feel bad now. Imagine sharing two that. Thanksgivings, two Thanksgivings. Two Christmas. Uh, 444 total days yes at what point i i i don't know how else to say that at what point did you think that we're not getting out of this like how quick like in the first 30 days you might have thought it's still going on it must be almost over mike i tell you every day you didn't know if you're going to live or die yeah morning noon and night and um i spent my first thanksgiving tied to a chair uh first christmas and then i was put into a room about the size of your studio with two other people right. for the next 400 days. And uh, Billy Gallegos, that Marine um, that uh, I was telling you about, and Jerry Plotkin. Uh, Jerry Plotkin was the only American civilian. I mean, there's a great story I, I was telling Mike earlier about Jerry. He was he was a merchant. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oof. Jerry was from uh, the Bronx. Right. Uh, he was Jewish, and he was carrying a quarter million dollars in, in a briefcase that morning, November 4th. Wow. He was supposed to be in the visa building, which was on the backside. That morning, we're attacked. We say, hey, sir, back away, and he's with a Korean. Little did we realize that Jerry's business, his brother, owned a, a, a headhunting service right. that hired Koreans to work the minefield. Jerry was to get his visa stamped over at the visa building, and he was to go to the airport. Wrong place, wrong time. Jeez. They released a Korean. They kept Jerry because he was Jewish, yeah. and he was carrying a quarter million dollars in cash. Wow. So we spent the next 400 days. Um, April 25th, 1980, um, all of a sudden, I mean, you're locked in a room. If you have to go to the room, a restroom, you'd have to... Knock on the door, put a piece of paper underneath the door, and then come them, yeah. and blindfold you to take you to the restroom. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I've been thinking this the whole time. Where are they going to the bathroom? I need to know <laughs> these things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and if they didn't let you go to the restroom, you had to have a can in your room. Yeah, and we didn't go outside, but seven times out of 444 days, wow. walking from my car this morning up to your uh, your studio here, I mean, you take it for granted, yeah. freedom. I mean. My finger was my toothbrush. A bar of soap was my toothpaste. Wow. Um, every morning I take a shower. You know why? I can. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't get to take a shower for the first probably two months. And um, it's, you know, you, you used to bird bath. Yeah. You clean yourself. And that's where the Marine Corps taught you how to live in the, uh, in the worst conditions. But April 25th, Mike, is when um, obviously I had no idea that eight individuals lost their life on an attempted rescue operation. We as hostages, we had we'd faced the fact that we were just going to be there forever. Right. And, um, I mean, many of my colleagues tried to commit suicide. While they were there. Um, the good thing is Billy and I were young. Jerry was older. And we talked through many issues. But that day of November, or April 25th, um, you could tell something was happening because they were running back and forth in the corridor. And through the broken window in the back of the embassy, you could hear cars stirring around. By that evening, they came running into our room. And whenever that door opened, you didn't know if they were going to come in come and start in. shooting. Could be the last day, yeah. They come running in, uh, handcuffed, my left hand to Jerry, my right hand to Billy. They blindfold us, 
and they take us down uh, to the back of the embassy, put us into a vehicle, hand Jer- handcuff Jerry to the left side, handcuff Billy to the right side. We're handcuffed, blindfolded. They take a picture of us, and then they put a blanket over top of us. Little did we realize that they had found the charred bodies of oh. those eight servicemen in the desert. These eight, along with 90 other individuals, made it into the heart of Iran to try to attempt a rescue operation. It failed when they found the charred uh, bodies, the C-130, the CH-53. Um, the Iranians knew then that America was trying to rescue us. So we were all in the Chantry the morning of April 25th. By that evening, we were scattered throughout the country. Uh, so they never confirmed this. Wow. Wow. And are you losing all hope at this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was no light at the end of that tunnel. Uh, did you, <laughs> was it, was it like uh, in Vietnam, how we know that there was, was POWs there, you know, forever? Were you thinking about that, uh, that, you know, that this could be, this could be our fate forever? Well, yeah, I, again, for me, being a young, naive kid, the holidays, that first Thanksgiving, that first Christmas, you thought a humanitarian gesture, Mike. Yeah. It didn't happen. You thought, yeah, you were going to be there for a long period of time. And like I said, they never let us go out uh, and do anything. Um, I guess they always feared that we'd try to escape, which we would try. Right. But we were locked in that room. I mean, that's I, I hate going to a, a zoo. Because yeah. when I see an animal locked in a, a cage, that's what you we were for 444 yeah. days. What, how horrible. How, what a horrible, I, I mean, the, in addition to the physical aspects of it, psychologically yeah it had to be so so damaging it was uh, and as i was telling mike earlier i mean i might look uh normal on the outside but i'm i'm all messed up on the that's inside. What i was gonna ask you, you how know, much after effect is well, you had to deal it, with it's one of those things we we spent our second thanksgiving uh second christmas and it's january 20th 1981 and uh i mean never did i ever uh, i prayed so hard in my life uh and my mother um, being a staunch Catholic, she said, you know, you pray because someday you're going to need God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what? Uh, she was so right. And so I prayed. And sure enough, that day of on January 20th came. Um, we were in this location. Uh, they had taken our shoes from us so we could not Run. escape. Yeah. And so January 20th, 1981, they come running into our room and uh, blindfold us. And they take us from the room, and instead of going right, the direction we came in, they turn left, and all of a sudden, I'm the first one, and he turns me, opens the door, and you feel this cold, fresh air, something you hadn't felt for so long. Walk out, and I'm stepping in the snow, something I hadn't felt for two years. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm walking through the snow with my open-toed shoes, and I remember opening my mouth, and the snow is coming in, and they put me onto a vehicle, all of a sudden, the vehicle, it pulls off, it scrapes the right side of the tree, jumps a curb, it turns right, and about 30 minutes later, all of a sudden, it makes a right-hand turn, and you hear a sound of an airplane. Oh. And, I mean, your heart is pounding because this is something you had prayed for. Yeah. You had cried for. You would hope for. And all of a sudden, the force of the jet is pushing against the vehicle that we were in, and um, I didn't have glasses in, didn't have hearing aids then, and they, they tell us to unblindfold. And you start to slowly unblindfold, and here you are looking at people that you hadn't seen since November 4th. Didn't know who was alive, didn't know. No. Yeah, yeah. You look bad, you smell bad, and you're like in shock. And they start taking us one by one, and they put us on the back of the airplane. And I walk up, and I, I hadn't seen a woman in 444 days. And here's this pretty little stewardess, and she's not 
speaking English, it's broken English, Algerian. Yeah. And she says, please come, uh, you must sit down. Mike, the reason why I'm sitting here is because the United States paid the Islamic Republic of Iran $8.3 billion. Because when we were in, um, in Iran, a war with Iran and Iraq started. Yeah. And Iran needed money to fight the war. Ah. We had no idea. The Shah dies a day after my birthday, July 27, 1981. I find this out in Avene prison when we were held. I was in Avene prison for four months. And we had no idea what was going on. And now here, all of a sudden, you're released. Had no idea that the United States had paid this money. We're just, we're you, freed. You don't know why it's happening? You don't know about Reagan? No. Yeah. No. I mean, the pair of pants I had on, my left cheek was completely hanging out. Wow. I mean, I'd worn it for over 200 days. They didn't days. give you any prisoner outfits, nothing. You were just what in the... I'm, I'm saying, like, they didn't want <laughs> to identify you as, like, like in case no, you did get away. No, They just kept you in the same clothes. In the same room with in the, the same, same room, people. yeah. I mean, uh, and so here you are now together, and... You know, they're chanting death to America and you're boarding an airplane. <laughs> it's like, this doesn't go. Yeah, well. I don't know if I'm supposed to be happy or not. Yeah. So you get on the airplane and so you're just like, in, again, in shock and people start coming on. And it's not like a celebration because this plane has got to take off. Yeah. And we got to get in in a, a good area. And so all of a sudden the pilot says, please be seated. We must leave very quickly. And you turn around and you're saying, wait. Where's Gene? Where's Kurt? Where's Judy? Where's everybody else? Right. You don't know who is. No. And they said, no, you're the last. We said, what are you talking about? Where's everybody else? And they said, the others were let go a year earlier. Wow. We had no idea that other people were let go a right. year earlier and that we were the remaining 52 out of all those people. Because can I, can I just interrupt you for a second and just want to say how uh, I point out another difference between a guy like you and a guy like me. You're concerned with the other people and you're, where's Gene? Where's the other? I would have been like, just let's go. Let's get me out of here. Get me home. But you cared enough to worry about where your friends were and the people that you knew. Well, think about my colleagues that were let go. Yeah. I mean, many of my Marine buddies, I mean, they had difficulty realizing that they were let go and that we remained. I yeah. mean, they had more difficulty when they got home because they remained. So anyway, the pilot comes on and says, please be seated. We must leave. And he taxis down. They've been sitting there living on that airplane for three days. Oh, waiting, just waiting for yeah, that Yeah, because the, the two C-130s arrived with $8.3 billion in gold on January 17th. Oh. That airplane was supposed to land and the Islamic Republic of Iran was supposed to release the hostages, but they said, no, we will release the hostages when we want. And in our interrogations, Mike, they told us, it is not you, the American people we hate, it's your government, but we will use you to humiliate your, your government. Mm. And that's what they were doing to Carter. Yeah. So we get to the end of the runway and we're on this plane and just sitting there, I'm grabbing the armrest, and all of a sudden, he starts throwing the plane, shaking all of a sudden, and comes back down to an idol. Huh. Through the mock firing squads, through the Russian roulette, here they are screwing with us one last time. Yeah. They turn the runway lights off, and the pilot comes on and says, they've got the lights off, we're trying to get the lights on. We didn't understand, but back home, the inauguration, they waited 20 minutes until... Carter was out of office, and, then, and Reagan was in, just to stab President Carter. Yeah, yeah, that's now I'm 52, and that's a little bit of what I remember of when it was when it was happening. Yeah. It is, the minute Reagan was elected, that's when everything was well, starting to go. And think about what did they do to President Reagan? Uh, 1983 killed 240 Marines in Beirut. Yeah, 
Mike, that's why I regret not ever pulling that trigger November 4th. Sure. The war on terrorism started November 4th, and they've gotten away with it since then for 45 years. And here we are battling the Islamic Republic of Iran. You, when you look at it, when you look at these, this deal that we made yesterday, where we're sending ninety three billion dollars in aids over, like, how does that bother you? Like when you think about it now, I mean, uh, that we're so we're still sending money over to these other governments to fight their wars. That's got to bug a guy like you. Well, it bugs it bugs me because we should have dealt with it back in nineteen seventy nine. None of this would have been happening. You know what? When uh, we were attacked in Pearl Harbor, we went to war. Yeah. And we finished that war. And for some reason, our enemy, they remember history. We get rid of history. Yeah. We throw history away. And we bring in people that forget what happened. And so Iran knows our government comes and goes every four to eight years. Right. They so. just need to negotiate through those and get all the money they can. And they know taking hostages is good money. But I come home, I can, you know, I work for an incredible organization now, uh, Folds of Honor, that provides scholarships to children and spouses of fallen, disabled military and first responders. Like you said, there's 1% of our population that serves the war on terror, and our uh, first responders, uh, they're heroes. 9-11, when that occurred, people were running away, they were running in. And, and it's, uh, you know, these guys, you come back here, it's like you said, you come back here and you're... An American citizen, but you're not the same. You can't. No. There's things you can't. You know, you've dealt with in your life that you may not be able to do. The Folds of Honor is taking you fifty-one thousand scholarships. That's yep. amazing. And, and we have great Bay Beverage here, a wholesaler, Anheuser Busch. Its brands, its wholesalers like Great Bay have provided over uh, 14 years, twenty-seven million dollars to Folds of Honor That's to provide. Uh, Education. At Folds of Honor, we say, honor their sacrifice, educate their legacy. And that's what I get to do. Every morning I wake up, I earn each day a memory of those eight individuals. Mike, think about it. If you're, one of your boys uh, were killed or taken hostage, yeah. how, how do you get up in the morning and go to work and think like everything's normal? No, the, the entire time you're telling us, I, I have a son and a daughter. And the entire time you're talking, I think... Uh, if my son, I, I think of it in a more realistic situation. If my son ever went to jail, I don't know how I'd live yeah. not being able to protect him. Now know that he's in a place where they're torturing him every day. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. For how, 444, 444 days. 444 days. Uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, the parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. And for a hostage, it was tough for me, but my poor parents, it just, it, destroy yeah, them because i mean especially uh, i'm sure your mother loved you and missed you the most but when you're when you're a father you're the protector of the yes. family and now you're you're absolutely helpless there's nothing you can do you give yeah. your life for your kids but even that you can't do yeah and if you remember back then uh that was the first uh ted koppel nightline yeah uh the media lived in my parents yard Imagine the media living in your Camping yard there, man, for the yeah. next 444 days. My mother, the way that she dealt with it was she cooked for all the media that lived out in the yard. She would make pastries, but it kept her busy. And uh, God love her and, and my brothers and sisters. And like I said, my girlfriend, she waited for me. Uh, when I got home, uh, we, we were finally released. That plane finally took off. We got into Turkish airspace. Uh, we were escorted to uh, Athens, Greece. New pilots. Um, they then flew 
flew us from Athens to Algiers. We boarded medevac planes. We get to Germany. I make my first phone call home to my mom and dad. Oh. And they say that Rocky or Jill is here. And I said, she waited. And my dad said, well, she wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, that doesn't sound good. She's going to tell me she's going to get married or something. And she says, Rocky... I've been in the service, Mike, for six years at that time. And she said, either me or the military, but I, I can't, I can't do this. I yeah. can't live with you being gone again and not knowing. And so I chose wisely. And that's when I went to work for AB for 34 years. And that's when I met uh, Major Rooney, an incredible man that uh, formed this organization of Folds of Honor. Uh, like he said, 51,000 scholarships. Uh, you know, 90 cents of every dollar that comes in goes back into that scholarship. 45% of our recipients are minority. Out of that uh, 45%, 57% are females. And again, just like what we were talking about, a military person, what happens so much on the family of when they're gone or if they don't come home. Right. And then we need to make sure that we take care of them. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think you'll find many people that disagree with you, no matter what their political views are. We still respect what the uh, soldiers have done for putting their lives first, giving up their families. I think everybody appreciates that. Yep. And I think it's great that Folds of Honor does this. I'm proud to be associated with Anheuser-Busch and with Budweiser and the, and the work that they do. We've done events with them. We, we're fortunate that we have McDill Air Force Base right here in the Tampa Bay area. So we can definitely show the love back to the uh, the folks in the military and, and appreciate them. What, are you, you're headed over there now? What do you got going I am, on over there? I'm headed over to Great Bay uh, Beverage to uh, speak to the sales team. Uh, this year, Anheuser-Busch will be doing another big year. Like I said, 14 years, uh, over $27 million. And Great Bay, uh, along with all the other AB wholesalers, are doing a great job. And so just uh, telling the story, and I, I always want to tell that story about those eight individuals, yeah. uh, Operation Eagle Claw. Um, I get to meet uh, those guys uh, that were able to live through that ordeal. I mean, imagine being on that rescue operation the morning of April 25th. They threw, flew through the night of April 24th, landed in the desert in the middle of the country of Iran. Yeah. And all of a sudden, a helicopter crashed with the C-130. They couldn't get their colleagues because the fire was so intense and they had to get out. Not only did they lose their friends, but they couldn't come in and get us. Yeah, yeah, and so double. I get to see those individuals. And like I said, each day I wake up and I earn in memory of those eight individuals that sacrificed and had the guts to try. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I don't know how you do it. I don't know. I, I think it's a Sicilian in me. I don't know that I'd be giving anybody <laughs> up and ratting people out. But boy, I'd be pissed off if I was over there. I'd be mad at everybody when I came back here. Like you're you're definitely in a good uh, spot mentally with you know with being able to deal with what you've been through. But my wife, my, yeah, you know, my wife. Uh, without her, I would be in a ditch somewhere. Uh, she's been with me, you know, before this and after this. And whenever I get off the track, you know, um, she puts me on uh, track. And you know, I got three beautiful kids. I got four grandkids. Those are, and this is where it gets tough. Those eight individuals, Mike. They would never have the opportunity to go fishing with their son yeah. ever again. Go to a father-daughter dance. Yeah. Walk their daughter down the aisle. It's awful Hold to think about. Hold their grandkids. Yeah. And those are things I've gotten to do. And those eight individuals would never get to do that. And so that's why the American people need to remember our military and our first responders, what they do in their families, um, what they uh, have to go through. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I have always appreciated the military i've done what i could 
you know, to, to get word out, our band play a function or do something that we could do to help out because I feel like we all owe it. I feel like we all owe, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about anybody who just people who've been in bad situations, anybody who give up their life to go do that for any short amount of time is so appreciated. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're, uh, you're safe and that you're spreading the word and that you're still talking to people and letting them know that they can live on after things like this. Can I tell you the, uh, the two things that I could not get out of my head the entire time you were talking? One is I can't imagine having to just be dirty and, and, uh, you know, no showers and living with other people and just being grossed out for all that time. And the other thing is, man, what a, Pounding you must have gave that girlfriend when you came home. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I thought, oh, I'm locked in a room with two guys. I got, I got out guys outside with machine guns. There's nothing, there's nothing sexual about it. But when I get home, boy, you got 444 days of loving coming at her. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, oh, I'm just thinking that's a long time for a 20 something year old guy to be sitting there all built up. <laughs> I'm surprised. I oh, love man. It. Oh, that's great. Well, no. thank you so much. It is a pleasure and honor to meet you. And thank you for all that you do. And thank you to Folds of Honor yeah. and uh, and for you to go out there and, and speak on their behalf because when you hear it from a guy who's lived through an experience like that, it means a whole lot more. Well, it's um, as we say at Folds of Honor, honor their sacrifice, educate their legacy, and God bless America. And we, your listeners, have no idea how wonderful our country is. People are, are trying to get into our country because yeah. of our freedom. Uh, don't take it for granted. It's, I'll tell you, when you hear a story like that and you hear about how quick you can lose that freedom, you'll really realize how great we have it here. Yes, sir. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you, you so too, much man. for your service and everything that you've been through. Thank you, sir. We will uh, take a quick break. It's the Mike Calta Show. This is 1025 The Bone. You're listening to, You're listening to The Mike Calta Show. Now, a bone traffic update from the Farrah and Farrah. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.